Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. We are currently in stage two of our COVID-19 response where the church building is open for you to join us in person for worship. However, we will continue to broadcast the service live at 10 a.m. each week. Now, here's this week's message. So good morning. I hope you're doing well. And as a disclaimer, once again, just be safe, those of you online or those of you who have young ones in here. Remember, we're about to talk, start talking about some adult topics. The sermon title is Let's Talk About Sex. If that makes you uncomfortable, the rest of the sermon will as well. So if you need to remove someone from the room, please do so as we discuss this topic. We're good? All right. So have a couple disclaimers before we get started, okay? Here they are. These are important. Please pay attention. Number one, please wait to email me until the entire series is over. It's three weeks. If you just can't help but send an email, send it to scott at fbcconway.org. But I would advise just wait, give me a couple of weeks because just it needs some time. Also, please understand I will pick on guys more than ladies. And I know that might offend some of you. I know we got equality and men and women are the same, but listen, I'm not a lady. So I can't speak to what ladies are going through, but I am a guy, and so I know what they are going through. So I will pick on men more than women. Number three, please understand that giving is not taking. I know when we talk about things, especially sexual things, it can invoke a lot of different emotions, and I know some of you have been through things that are just not your fault. Even if somebody blamed you, even if somebody said it was your fault, please know that giving is not the same as taking. And if someone took your innocence, if somebody forced themselves upon you, I do believe with all my heart that you are still pure in God's heart. I'm at God's eyes and he is not holding you responsible for what someone else has done. And know you are worthy of a great life just because somebody has done something to you. So just know that giving is not the same as taking. Nor am I, when, I, when I'm talking about this stuff, please understand that. Also, number four, fourth disclaimer, I got six or seven. I can't address everything or everyone. Okay, so please understand, I, when we're talking about these issues, I can't talk about everything in one day, and I can't talk about everything that may pertain to you. And so just know if some of the things I'm talking aren't talking about aren't for you, perhaps they're for the people around you. So give me some grace as we discuss these topics. You'll see why. Number five, I have to be direct on some things. While I usually like to slowly develop and build things up, during a series like this, I got to be pretty direct, and I'm not doing it for shock value ever. Not doing it to just go, wow, I can't, no. Trying to get my point across, and sometimes I just need to get my point across so we can move on. Does that make sense? Sometimes we got to be direct. You worried yet? No? Okay, we're good. Number six, this is going to be uncomfortable for both of us. Let's just go ahead and agree about that up front. This is going to be uncomfortable for me and for you. However, what's even more uncomfortable is when you come to me and tell me what your 10-year-old was looking at on the internet. Because that's happened. What's even more uncomfortable is that conversation you may have to have with your spouse one day or your next spouse one day, and you have to explain to them all of that stuff that you did. That's going to be uncomfortable. So I will get pretty uncomfortable today, and perhaps you can get uncomfortable to maybe save you some uncomfortableness 
later. That makes sense? Well, fair? Number seven, this disclaimer did not count as part of my sermon. Okay, so as far as my sermon length, this does not count. These are disclaimers. This is a warning, okay? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we talk about this, this topic, it's uncomfortable. And I pray for your spirit to fill this place. I pray for those who are listening and those that have many regrets. I pray people find forgiveness that they need in you this morning. I pray for those who are overwhelmed in a mess, that you guide them out of it. And I pray for those who are close to the edge, those are saying how close they can get before they cross that line. I pray that they listen to this message, Lord. I pray they listen to your word. Father, you know what we need well before we ask, especially in this area. So Lord, just be with us and guide us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. So before I went to basic training, uh, luckily for me, one of my best friends had already been to basic training. And the great thing about that is before you get into something you're unsure about, especially like basic training, when you hear all the horror stories and you see the movies, you wonder what's true and what's not true. Right? You try to figure out what, what's going to happen, what can I expect. And the great thing, my buddy Billy, he, he just went like right before. So he told me what to expect, what to do, what the drill sergeants wanted to see, and just gave me all sorts of practical advice that would make my life easier in basic training. And I'll never forget, because one thing Billy said is when you test for running, don't get into A group. I said, okay, you know, I'm taking notes about everything. Don't get in A group. I understand that. Fast forward a little bit, we get to basic training. One of the first days, they say, we're running tomorrow. I said, okay, fine. I've been in pretty good shape. I've been running a lot. And when we get there, they said, well, you know, we're testing for groups to see where you're at. And the drill sergeant said, but do your best. Do the best you possibly can. I said, well, all right. I'm going to show off a little bit. So we went out there, and look, this might not be fast to you, but for me, it was just one mile, and I'd been training for two or three miles. So I ran like a 545 mile, which is pretty fast for me, Okay because you know, I had the eyes on me. I'm trying to impress the drill sergeants. And so like I booked it, I ran and I was proud. They said, you made it to A group. I said, yeah, Billy doesn't know what he's talking about. I got this, I did my best. I was elite. Y'all ever felt like that before? Oh, y'all aren't even being honest right now about anything. Well, it's about to get real bad. I'm just letting you know. So the next day, we went our, our to running, our running group. So we got up as a company. Everybody went out there really early. I don't know what time. And we stretched and we got warmed up. And they said, all right, they called A group. And I went, yeah. So I got to step out of line. Got to walk in front of everybody as one of the elite, right? Got to A group. And boy, we just took off. And I said, man, this is so different. I'm used to running slow, right? Get the pace up. I said, but we just warmed up. So maybe that was the warm-up. So instead of, you know, running slow to get that pace, they just, they just went for the pace. And I was like, man, this is crazy. I said, well, maybe, maybe we're just running this fast. Because to me, I'm not joking. I was sprinting. So maybe we're just running that fast in front of those B and C groupers. All right, maybe when we turn the corner, we'll get to an appropriate pace. We'll be okay. And so, so we were sprinting off. I had so many things going through my mind. And I remember my drill sergeant saying, don't stop until you do the clucking chicken. I wasn't editing it. That's actually what he said. I said, what is that? He said, it's when you're running until you pass out in the side of the ditch and you're twitching. Don't stop until that happens. I'm like, okay, this must be what you do. So I did it and we ran. And I'll never forget when I heard the drill sergeant say, y'all ready? I said, ready for what? Let's go. At that very moment, I realized that my sprint 
the fastest I could possibly run was their warm-up pace. I've realized I had made a big mistake. I realized that Billy was right after all, that I wasn't ready for a group and I knew I was in trouble. But that imagery of running as fast as you can, whatever that would look like for you, where you were just sprinting, where you were going, well, maybe not as fast as you can run now, but perhaps as fast as you could have ran at one time. I can't run as fast as I used to. How about y'all? Everybody have a day that they used to be faster? Yeah, okay, all right, good. Yeah, so think about that, running as fast as you possibly can. I want you to think of that when you hear this. This is our memory verse for our series, 1 Corinthians. It says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, flee. That's run as fast as you possibly can. Sprint, go for it, just all out. Flee from sexual immorality. Brian, what's that? Come back next week. We'll talk about that a little bit more. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul says, run as fast as you possibly can away from sexual morality. Don't run towards it. Don't, don't see if you can get really close to the line. Like, you know, I'm good if I cross that line. Mama said not to cross that line, but I haven't crossed that line. So let me just stay right here in the gray zone because I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I got this thing under control. Paul says, no, 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 run. Run away, go away. Don't pretend doesn't exist. Paul says, run. He says, because sexual sins, listen, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. We'll explain that more next week. But what Paul's saying is sexual sins are different from all other sins. They affect you differently than all other sins. So the reasons why Christians believe that sexual sins are a big issue, well, simply because the Bible says it's a big issue. And we've already agreed as Christians that we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe that the Bible is the guiding light for our life. So as Christians, we don't just make sexual things a big deal because we're bored and have nothing else to do. We have plenty to do. We just believe, in, believe the Bible when it says that sexual sins are different than all other sins. They can have a greater effect. We'll talk again next week about that in length. But Paul says, do you not know? Don't you know this stuff? Haven't you heard this stuff? To which you say, well, Paul, not really. I mean, my youth pastor kind of mentioned it, kind of in passing. My pastor, they surely never talked about that. I mean, you can't talk about that in church. You're supposed to talk about other stuff like giving, right? I thought about doing a giving series next. I said, well, we've done politics. We're doing sex. Might as well do giving next. Might as well just knock them all out of the way, right? No? Okay, Sorry. I can't get distracted today. I gotta stay focused. Okay, so, well, no, my pastor didn't talk about it. My parents, well, they were just way too uncomfortable to talk about it. They gave me that speech, but we really couldn't talk about it. So, I mean, I guess I didn't know, but I see my friends and I see what they're doing and they seem to be having a good time. In fact, every single TV show I've ever watched has it on it. Brian, haven't you ever seen The Notebook? It looks like it works out perfectly in the end anyways. So, no, I guess I didn't know. Isn't sex just one of those things people expect from each other? 
You see, a quick look at our culture tell us we are pretty confused about this topic even in our churches, because we don't really know how big of a deal this is. We think this advice is just for the young people. We think this advice is just for those who are, well, let's just say it, who are virgins, who haven't experienced. We think, well, well, nobody else really needs to worry about it. I mean, we're all good, but just because you're an adult, can we be honest, doesn't mean you have this figured out. Listen, teenagers aren't fueling the pornography industry. They don't have any money. Teenagers aren't being divorced for sexual infidelity. Do I need to keep going? Right, adults, y'all don't have this figured out either. This isn't just a youth issue. This is a Christian issue. Sexual purity is a Christian issue. That's why we're going to talk about it. And so if you're single and you've never been married, stay tuned. We can save you a lot of trouble, heartache, and pain. And if you made mistakes that you're not proud about, listen, we believe you can be redeemed and forgiven for those. If you are married, I got great advice for you today. Married people, you want to pay attention today. If you're a parent, listen, my goodness, please pay attention. And please use this as a springboard for conversations. I will get really uncomfortable for you, for you to start having the conversations. Be like, man, that guy was crazy. What do you think? All right, blame me. Start having those conversations. We want to help your children follow Jesus, but you as a parent have to play your part. We cannot do it for you. And if you're somewhere in between, no matter how old, no matter what your experience is, sexual purity is a big deal because Paul says, run from sexual morality. Which means if you're running from it, you have to be running towards something. And that's usually where we get caught up because we're like, well, where do I run to? Do I run to the next person? Maybe they'll solve it. Do I run to that next thing that dulls the pain? Do I run to that next relationship? I mean, where do I run, Brian? If I'm running from, where am I running towards? Which is simple, run towards sexual purity. I'm like, Brian, come on. No, I'm serious. Yeah, but I'm an adult. Yeah, I know, it's for you. Yeah, but no, no, but run towards sexual purity. Yeah, but I'm married. I know, run towards sexual purity. Yeah, but no, everybody, do you understand? Everybody, everybody run towards sexual purity, and that's my urge. That's what I want for you. So let's take a couple of minutes this morning. Let's learn about healthy sex because we're really good at church. We're really good at talking about unhealthy, aren't we? Anybody uncomfortable yet? No one? Okay, good. So let's talk about what healthy sex looks like. Number one, God created sex. Should we up here? God created sex. Did you know it was his idea? We forget that. In the beginning, God created male and female. We can get so caught up in Genesis 1 about arguing how everything happened, we can miss the beauty of what's being told. You see, chapter 1 is filled with God creating seemingly different things. Think about it. He creates the light and he creates the darkness. Completely different, right? But you put them together, what do you have? A day. You have the land and you have water. Completely different. But you put them together, you have what? Earth. You have the sky animals. You have the sea creatures. You have the land animals. You put them together, you have an ecosystem. You have work and you have rest. I mean, if you work too much, you get burnt out. If you rest, well, you're just lazy and you'll starve. So you see this combination of work and rest. You put them together, you have a healthy rhythm of life. We'll do a sermon series on one day for you workaholics, okay? And then you see male and female. 
completely different, aren't we? But you put them together. You have the beauty of marriage. Seemingly differently things. That's what Genesis 1 is filled with. Seemingly different things coming together to make something beautiful. And so God created the sexes. He created male. He created female. And in those differences, it's biological. They come together to, well, look at the next part. Genesis 1. So God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase the number and fill the earth and subdue it. Memory verse. Be fruitful and increase the number. What's he talking about? Yeah, making babies. Procreation. We, we understand what this is. Yes, we, we shouldn't be uncomfortable. We're talking about sex. We, that's what that is. So he says they come together. Male and female come together to do that. Gender is part of the beauty of God's created order. Gender is from God. A male is a male. A female is a female. And this is an accident. This isn't, a, this isn't an accident. This is not a social construction. This is biological. God created them for a purpose. God designed sex. And he brought male and female together in union to have sex in the context of Marriage, which means, next point is, sex is a good gift. Sex is a good gift. Like any gift, it's a good thing, but we can confuse it and we can misuse it. One author author said this, listen. He says, life in Lubbock, Texas taught me that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth. And you should save it for someone you love. Isn't how the church talks about it? It's awful and it's horrible, but save it till you get married. I don't understand. But sex is a good gift, and we, we confuse it, and we, we misappropriate. We don't talk about it well because we don't know how to talk about it. But understand, it is a good gift. It is from God. But in order to experience the beauty of it, in order to experience the goodness of it, you have to use it in the proper context. Well, it's kind of like a sweater. And I'm just telling you, it was so hard to do illustrations this week. I'm not going to lie. It was so challenging to try to get them, get them well without going to, well, you understand. Okay. Think about a sweater. Let's say Jessica, my wife, her name's Jessica. Let's say she bought me an amazing, awesome sweater that was just beautiful and it was warm and it was the coolest sweater. Y'all like sweaters? Pretend you do. It was the most beautiful sweater that's ever been created. And I wore it in July down here in South Carolina. How would that work out for me? Yeah, the sweater would then become uncomfortable. I would not enjoy it and it would make me absolutely miserable because I'm not using it or wearing it in the proper context. When sex is used in the proper context of marriage, it is a beautiful thing, a gift from God. And the Bible writers affirm it. If you don't like reading your Bible and you're unsure, read the Song of Solomon's. Hey, Brown, I don't even know where that is. Look it up. Jewish boys weren't allowed to read it till they were adults. You say, Brian, why? It's provocative. The Bible doesn't describe sex as a bad thing. The Bible describes sex as a good thing. Proverbs 5, this is about the only thing I'll read and you'll get the point. But look at this with me. Proverbs 5, 15 through 23. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets? Should your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Verse 18. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe and a graceful deer, 
May her breast satisfy you always and may you ever be intoxicated, intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward, wayward woman? It's the beginning, he talks about adultery. Then he says, no, here's what it needs to look like. And if you're wondering if those metaphors were provocative, the answer is what? Yes, absolutely. The Bible doesn't condemn sex. It speaks of it as a very good thing. We should be intoxicated with our spouse's love. But sex is a responsibility. Sex is a responsibility. This is one of those things about being human because sex is part of our design. Because God created the way he created us, we are both accountable and responsible for it, which means we better teach ourselves and teach others how to properly understand it and properly use it. And let's be honest, let's take a look at our churches on how we've handled kind of tough topics. Let's, how about this? I'm trying to, I'm trying to find illustrations, things to bring together. This was ridiculously hard to put together for you, by the way. But let's use this illustration. Think about alcohol. Here's the common approaches we take in churches with alcohol. We have the figure it out on your own approach. What does that approach mean? We don't talk about it and we pretend it doesn't exist. When we're parents, we pretend it doesn't exist with our kids and we hope and pray that none of their friends ever talk about it or that the TV doesn't talk about it or they're never around it. So if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist, right? Okay, we have that approach or we have the it's a sin approach. This is really used in churches a lot. Alcohol is a complete sin and it's forbidden. We just tell them it's bad, don't do it. And I get this part. Like we are trying to save people from the danger of, of what alcohol can do, right? Like addiction and things like that. I mean, it can be used terribly. So we just say it's horrible. But then when your child or your friend, they read the Bible and see that like Jesus drank, you're gonna have a pretty hard time explaining that. And if you can use the approach that it really wasn't alcohol, it was just wine, and then you give somebody a tape of that CD, that one, or a tape of that one person who, who said that, it's not going to work. Because the truth is, there is no scholar who believes that at all. Somebody made that up. They drank back in the Bible. But we can choose the it's a sin approach, which some people were passed down, or let's not talk about an approach. But all of those, and I promise you as a pastor, I know this to be true, just I know you have your issues. Remember, give me grace. But listen, all of these approaches lead to the hide it approach in my own personal life. Where I'm not gonna talk about it, I can't talk about it, I'm just gonna hide it from everybody else. Because if we aren't prepared to deal with that responsibility, then we don't talk about it and we're just in the dark, maybe doing it, maybe not doing it. Then we're like, hey, we have this party, but I can't invite people over to church to the party because I'm a vacuum at the party. Surely can't invite the pastor. Look, I, I know y'all have parties and I know you invite me to things and it's like, you can't come to this one. I'm like, oh, I know what they're doing. You're not fooling us. We already know. When we don't get an invite, you're drinking. We know. It's true, isn't it true, Rocky? He knows. We're like, oh, oh, they're drinking. We don't know what that is. Ooh, you've tricked us. That's what we do. We hide it from people. Or we can teach responsibility. We can be open and honest. We can have conversations. We can set boundaries. We can help people learning while, while drinking isn't a sin. Being drunk absolutely is. And there are far more dangers when you deal with alcohol than there are probably benefits. But it doesn't mean you can't. 
have a drink, but you better be ready for what that entails. Some people choose never to, and that's okay. My point is we should talk about things. Because here's, well, let me ask you, what did your parents choose to do? And how did that work out? And then what approach are you taking with your kids? And how are you hoping it work out? Just know that our culture is very different today than it was maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Definitely different than 30, 40, 50 years ago. So you may need to talk about things a little differently today. Because here's what makes this so complicated. Drinking, perhaps I'll never run into it. But I can never hide away from sex because it's part of who I am. So by not talking about something that you know every teenager is going to go through, you're setting yourself up for trouble. By not talking about and dealing with and actually having conversations with things that every human being on this earth will have to deal with and experience, you're setting yourself up for trouble. So we don't have to pretend it doesn't exist. We don't have to say it's just a sin because then they'll get confused when they're married. You're like, Brian, nobody does. Yes, I promise you they, they do. People still feel guilty and still don't have, think that this is okay thing to do because of how they've been taught. Rather that, let's be responsible with it. Because the Bible writers address it pretty honestly. That's their next point. So sex is a responsibility and the Bible's writer address it. They just talk about it honestly. Because it, God created it. It's a good gift. It's a responsibility. But sin has distorted it. Look at Romans 1, 24 says, Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with 